This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here in New York for once. I'm in the room with our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. Happy to have you here. And our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey there. And we also have our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, guys. So we are gathering together at the height of Game of Thrones season still, where there's a lot of television to talk about. But there's also an entire summer movie season ahead of us, as uh, Richard and Cam Collins wrote for VF.com this week. Uh, They wrote about the 22 movies we'll be talking about this summer, which is actually a kind of fun way to look forward to what's ahead and not just feel kind of bludgeoned by the ongoing Avengers success that everyone wants to talk about. So we want to look at the summer movie season ahead and then in the back half of the episode, share an interview that Richard did with Anna Klumski, who is a star of Veep and is doing a a really interesting, apparently Kellyanne Conway-esque transformation this season, so uh, mm-hmm. we'll hear more from Richard and Anna later. But first of all, let's talk about summer movies. Uh, Richard, you and Cam wrote this piece together. We, Cam couldn't join us today, so you're going to have to speak on behalf of both of you. But it did sound like when you opened up this conversation that you were saying, okay, Avengers is huge. We're kind of exhausted by it. What else can we talk about? Well, yeah, I think because the, the question for years has been now has been what is a summer movie? When does summer movie season start? Because it used to be you really would not have a big tentpole blockbuster before Memorial Day. Memorial Day weekend would always be like the kickoff. Um, Now we have big tentpole blockbusters in February. You know, and then we have some in March, and then we have some in April, and so we ha- you have to kind of just like arbitrarily set a date. Last year we went right for our summer movie review. We really went by the very the social calendar, and so we said it was Memorial Day. This year, you know, it, it, once Avengers Endgame is out and making two billion dollars in like five days, yeah, okay, it's summer movie season now. Like that's happening. So that was the kind of arbitrary line we set, and you know, I was like, well, you know, that's because like all the superhero movies are over, and then I was like, wait, no, there's a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> well, there's an X-Men movie in like three weeks, right? Yeah, so it's just they 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 keep on coming, but um. You know, I think for the foreseeable future, once a Marvel movie gets going, you know, in the spring, I think then we're we're in summer movie territory. So doing this kind of full on before we start getting into individual titles, like looking ahead for the whole thing, are we in for a good summer movie season? It always kind of starts off promising and by the end of it, you hate half the movies, but it does seem like there's at least (laughs) a good variety coming at us. There's a good variety. Um, I'm a little concerned about the big blockbustery fun popcorn movie lineup because we have a lot of sequels, a lot of some of them which have been like long delayed when you mentioned the X-Men movie. Uh, There's another X-Men movie called New Mutants that's supposedly due out in August. But I think as has also been a recent trend, we have some great smaller indie stuff. I mean, Sundance has become not only an Oscar clearinghouse, but also a kind of uh, staging ground to launch a summer counter-programming campaign for certain movies. So we have a lot, like kind of like Eighth Grade was, um, or Hereditary to some extent. So I think we have those to look forward to, even if 
the lineup of big flashy see it you know at stadium seating kind of thing is looking a little lackluster. So what do we want to talk about first? We want to do small movies or big movies? Mike, what's what's got your attention the most? Well, why don't we just start with Rocket Man? I feel like <laughs> the um, biggest movie. You know. Yes. Well, that's another right? thing is that if we're went by moving the summer movie season up the way that Kim and I have in all our power done, <laughs> uh, that makes Can a, f- a summer film festival. You know, right. and yeah. and Rocket Man is probably. They might announce like a Toy Story 4 in the next few days or something, but my guess is that Rocketman is the big, out-of-competition, splashy, star-driven thing that Ken always tries to have at least one of, like Mad Max or something. And I don't know. I think it looks good. Am I crazy? I feel like we've had like a weekly Rocketman uh, segment on this show yeah. for weeks because they keep like promoting it, and Taron Edgerton and Elton John are going out together, and like so, Mike, you're sold too. Even though I feel like we we all keep trying to tell ourselves we're crazy, but maybe we're not. No, I've been on this train from the start. <laughs> Go back, check the record. Team Taron Edgerton does a musical. I mean, they had me when when I found out that he was doing the singing because Taron's got a great voice, and that was like that was part of my disconnect with Bohemian Rhapsody, and and like the fact that Taron has this great voice, and then that Elton John, I mean, for better or for worse, Elton John is involved. Like sometimes that's for worse because like then you know estates um, get involved. But like I don't know. I'm just I'm really excited about it all, and I hope it doesn't let me down. Well, I know. I feel like still people are coming up to me saying, you know, I just saw Bohemian Rhapsody the other day, and it's so good. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. great. I'm so glad you like it, but I'm I'm hoping that this will be really good so that I can actually participate in and enjoy yeah. that. Because I'm a huge music fan. Like, I, uh, I think Elton John's music is incredible. I'd love to experience it now um, with someone who has the full range of vocal capacity that Elton John used to have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if you see Elton John now, he had to change all of his arrangements because he lost that whole upper register. So, like, I don't know. That alone, I'm just, like, excited to just Like time be, travel. Yeah, you know, and, and kind of and enjoy that experience. I know enough about the Elton John story, uh, his early days, you know, with the residency at the Troubadour and all that stuff. Like, I think it'll be really fun. And, you know, I'm just hoping that I get to be part of this since the Bohemian Rhapsody one. I just didn't get it. I mean, like, I, I think all of us sort of were in that weird spot of being like, that's great that you like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this podcast is a standing record of us not getting Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah, for whatever, for, for better or worse. So, I, I and I honestly, to be perfectly candid, um, find superhero movies so boring. I just cannot like get excited about that same goddamn arc Did over you see and over again. And for some reason, I'm totally good with the the music arc, which is the same stupid arc every time. <laughs> but I love it. I'm fine with it. Wait, have you not seen Endgame? I, no, it's okay. Supposed to answer that? No, or not? I just. No, you're, I have you're not the one. yet seen it. You're the the seventh billionth person on the planet. I'll, who I'll your it. ticket will tip it over into three billion. Don't. I think. don't don't go see it, Mike. Make I love this. Music biopics are Mike's superhero genre. This is my <laughs> yeah. favorite. I mean, like the costumes, they they share that in common. It's true. Um, you know, usually <laughs> some sort of like tragic fall from grace Given happens. Given a gift like, of, of yeah. vocal talent. You know, that's yeah. a funny thing. The glam, the 70s glam costumes and the superhero costumes, there is a real And it's called Rocket there. Man. That sounds <laughs> yeah. like a superhero. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think it's smart a smart play to open in a can. It comes out like two weeks after it premieres at Cannes, so yeah. it's not like we're getting some huge sneak preview. I'm curious why festival. you think it's going to play at Cannes, though, because Cannes audiences can be notoriously fickle. Yes, they Will it can. get booed? They get fickle about stuff, I think, that is too arty, that is too ambitious. Like, they booed Personal Shopper. Or they, You know, like, I, I think that for as much as the Cannes audience reveres cinema, they're remarkably un... can be remarkably un-sort of, like, 
adventurous, I guess. Mm. Uh, Rocketman, though, it looks more stylized and more sort of fantasyized than Bohemian Rhapsody, which is much more straightforward, even though the director of Rocketman is the one who pinch hit, you know, finished up Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so that could alienate them. But I don't know. I think it's Elton John. He's, you know, from England, not too far away from France. Uh, it's big costumes. It's familiar songs. It's a lot of British stars including one from Game of Thrones, including, you know, Billy, Billy Elliot all grown up. Like, I just feel like if audiences it can, it's not in competition. If they just go in wanting to have a big, rousing, glittery time, that's a great place to see a big, rousing, glittery thing. Is it's camp. it's like the Met Bala camp of, of yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, It'll be a great wait, I, I wanted to bring up the Met Ball, though, because Taron Edgerton showed up at the Met Gala last night as we were recording this, wearing the most like straightforward suit. I, know, a, I was disappointed. Yeah, he's, supposed, he's on this whole tour talking about how close he and Elton John are. Come on, Taron. It was camp well, so for did, So yeah. did Rami. Rami also. I mean, I know he's already won his Oscar, so he doesn't have to like <laughs> do the Bohemian Rhapsody campaign anymore. But yeah, both of them were dressed in black. Richard Madden, who uh, Richard Lawson also alluded to from Game of Thrones, who's in um, Rocket Man, also showed up wearing black. But just like, I'm just sorry, it looked amazing. Sorry, Richard yeah. Madden was at the Met Gala was. Uh, chef's kiss fantastic I want to redo this summer movie preview based on who dressed best at the Met Gala and that would be their odds of succeeding this summer it's not about look there's no uh, right rubric to do a movie preview that's just as good as any other Well, to jump ahead a bit in the calendar, the other big Hollywood movie premiering at Cannes is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Mm. Quentin Tarantino movie that wasn't on the original lineup, but everyone's kind of just drumming their fingers like, okay, you're going to be at Cannes. It's also not playing in competition? No, it is. Oh, it is. Okay, so how does that feel like it's going to fare? Because in Glorious Bastards premiered at Cannes, that really kicked off this huge Oscar campaign for it, but it does feel like it could be, you know, Quentin Tarantino's beloved in France, but it feels like it could be risky for him. Yeah, he won the Palme d'Or for Pulp Fiction 25 years ago. He has been back there since. They like him. I think that to his benefit, this one is not grappling with European politics. It's grappling with, you know, very much California in the mid-century, you know, sort of story. We don't know how much it's actually about the Manson murders, but apparently that's involved. The rumor is Margot Robbie's playing Sharon Tate. I think she's credited as that on IMDb. The initial trailer for the movie does not really anything. But I think it's far enough away from a sort of like French you know, sort of history and any sort of like like a personal concern that ought, that I, I think the audience that can ought to kind of embrace it. It's about Hollywood. It's we got big stars in it, but also it has a real auteur behind it. It's not just a star vehicle. It's a not it's a director vehicle. Um, it was always going to be in the competition. They kind of delayed the announcement, I think, because like always oh, he's not finished, and they just wanted some more drama. <laughs> you know, they, that's suspense in their that's line very of them. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I'm curious, but again, that's another movie that's coming out just a couple months after it premieres. So it's not going to be some long lead thing. Like when I saw Carol in May and didn't come out for six months, you know, or something. People yeah. are going to get it. So it, I think this is just a nice momentum stop on the way to that movie being doing well. You know, with you know, in, in American box offices, because it's not as alienating as the last one, Hateful Eight. Uh, it's about a true crime thing, which, as we all know in the uh, the podcasting world, the true crime is quite hot. Uh, so <laughs> no, like maybe this is Tarantino's take on it. All the kids love it. The kids. I, I my gut is my gut tells me we haven't seen Quentin Tarantino. Have we seen a Quentin Tarantino movie? We haven't in the Me Too post Me Too era. No, mm-hmm. yeah, my gut tells me this yeah. thing is going to do better in France than in, that's going to be its its highest moment is when the French don't be, give yeah. a damn about wokeness <laughs> and then it comes here and it's going to get shredded. That's my gut. I don't know. I was just wondering if you're going to get that West Coast East Coast divide we talk about sometimes, but a yeah. Europe versus America 
time's up. If this is some kind of weird, like, indulgent um, meditation on, like, massacring women, it's going to be... And Sharon Tate's feet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Could be... I don't know. Well, the other theory is that perhaps it's some sort of alt history... You know, sort of like Inglorious Bastards, that like you know Hitler dies or whatever sort of thing. So like Sharon Tate kills Charles Manson. I don't know, but that's that's a theory. That's like I think that's a wishful thinking theory that's floating around because nobody really wants to see Tarantino do the Manson murders. But like maybe we want to watch a pregnant Sharon Tate kill Charles Manson. I don't know, but uh, yeah, the 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 word I really like is problematized. And I think uh, this movie is going to get prom- problematized into the dust by like the online discourse. The oh, discourse. I'm so tired. Yep. Yeah. Pre-exhausted. Which you know, like I, I don't. I'm not. I don't. I have, no. you know, haven't seen the movie, so who knows? But I think also, which you know, is a sort of more nerdy, wonky detail, is that recent movies like The Nice Guys or Under the Silver Lake, which are these very LA movies that premiered at Cannes. I mean, pretty much fizzled in the United States, mm-hmm. you know, after right. warm receptions there. So I think that that translation that you're talking about, Mike, like I and I, I think that and, and you mentioned, Katie, like I think that something to be considered, even though this is Tarantino, you know. Yeah. And I don't mean to um, like brush off the discourse because like, you know, I think especially like uh, like a lot of the things we learned about you know, Kill Bill and Uma Thurman and all of that, you know, as the Me Too conversation was happening, like, I think it's important to look at Tarantino's films through the through that lens. And so I don't mean to, like, brush it off. I just, I'm like, when this project was announced, despite the fact that I, like, am dying to see a Leonardo DiCaprio Brad Pitt movie, I was like, what chance does this have to even, like, you know, exist on its own two feet at this point? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, w- it's, it would it's be, just... it would be wonderful if he, you know, has digested some of the stuff that's been going on and put his spin on it. You know, I'm just I'm just very curious to see if he has digested any of it or not. And yeah. and and I think that can will not be the best signal. Um, the audience response in France will not really tell us anything well, about that. The critics y- will, but uh, but the audience won't. Yeah, I mean, there was a great, um, much smaller example last year. There was a, a Belgian film called Girl about a trans girl, uh, sort of mid-transition in Belgium, that won a bunch of awards yeah. at Cannes, both official awards and then the kind of queer palm, which is not associated with the festival, but is you know kind of this always presence on the out, on the outskirts of the festival, uh, and then came here and went down like a lead balloon because yeah. everyone was like, nope, these all of these gender politics are completely wrong, and the way you talk about trans identity is completely wrong, uh, and yeah, and I was just like, you in France, you would have thought this was like going to be the next, I don't know, Boys Don't Cry or something, and it really was not. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, look, the same thing happened to Green Book in Toronto. I mean, also Green Book won Best Picture last week. <laughs> it turned out okay um, for Green Book. Yeah, but it's just it's interesting. I mean, the the festival audience versus the the whatever you want to call it online very online discourse are two different things yeah. um and i may, we may overestimate the impact of the very online discourse from time to time but anyway it'll be interesting yeah i'm alex schwartz i'm nomi fry i'm vincent cunningham and this is critics at large a new yorker podcast for the culturally curious each week we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. 
I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. (laughs) Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Well, it always is. <laughs> while, while Hannah's going on and then afterwards, we're going to have kind of the, the summer movie season going along parallel to it. Like stuff that's going to be premiering Dyke during Can, Aladdin is coming, Godzilla King of the Monsters is coming, Dark mm-hmm. Phoenix. Kind of looking at May and June, I feel like a lot of big titles that I feel kind of curious but skeptical about. Like they're, they're other than Endgame, which kind of like started everything with a bang, like we said, for big movies, it feels like a lot of big question marks. Like it's, it's not really sure what's going to hit. Like even there's yeah. not even like a Jurassic World 2 on the horizon. I was talking with some friends uh, this past weekend. I was out of, out of the state and, and they pay attention to this stuff, but they're not like in deep like the way that we are. And they were sort of shocked when I was like, I think Aladdin's going to be a bomb. Do you guys feel that same way too? Like I feel like there's no buzz for that. The, li- the Guy Ritchie's live action Aladdin. I feel like betting against Disney live action, I mean, I guess Dumbo just kind of flopped. So was it not... like was it a was Dumbo a bomb or just like fine? Uh, that's a good Do question. You know? Probably somewhere in between the two. Um, and I was going to say that like betting against any of these Disney remakes is a bad idea, but Dumbo definitely at least you know it was no yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, but I think Dumbo. In in not Aladdin's defense exactly, but like they could point to the fact that like Dumbo is a really old Disney movie. It does not quite have the same IP heft that Aladdin, which has you know been watched at home by generations of kids now. Dumbo did fine. It made three thirty nine worldwide. It spent. I mean, it cost a ton of money to make. But you know, the, the the rumor I sort of got told on Twitter was that the reason Disney made the Dumbo movie is so they could retain rights to the story because I mean, they, they were about to go into the public domain. Is that really? Uh, yeah. Is that really the cheapest way to do that? I mean, Disney wow. has so much money. That's, you know. that's why Sony keeps making Spider Man movies. I mean, that's part of the reason. You know what I mean? Hey, they like got a good Spider Man. Keep what you got going. That's why the Andrew Garfield Spider Man happened because yes. like. They had to retain the rights. So, yeah. you know, happens all the time. Um, I think with Aladdin, I happen to live with, like, one of the world's biggest Aladdin fans of all time. Um, she is, she is like, crazy for Aladdin. It's her favorite thing. And uh, she's deeply skeptical. So if that's that's the temperature of the, of the crazed Aladdin fan, I don't know. But, like... Um, <laughs> It does feel- you know, I, it's hard to land that genie thing, like, you know, because with the beast, the beast is also a challenge, um, you know, in Beauty and the Beast, but the genie's even harder, I think. That's a car- that is a cartoon, you know what I mean, that you're trying to make you know, manifest a, a flesh with human. Will Smith. Yeah, you know. It does feel like it's also suffering from being coming out the same summer as The Lion King. And we talked about The Lion King at length with Griffin Newman a couple weeks ago, so we don't have to go into it too deep. But it, it feels like these two Disney movies that are hitting the same nostalgia pocket coming out the same summer, it's almost like Aladdin automatically is going to be the lesser one because it's the, the less historically huge movie than The Lion King, the original Lion King. Well, I, I think with The Lion King, we had this discussion two weeks ago with yeah, Griffin with Newman. Griffin, yeah, 
where we have this concern about, so we won't rehash the concern about like the, the animals talking, but I really just do feel like people right now are just like, oh, right, Aladdin's coming, but that's oh, we're just waiting for Lion King to come. So I don't know. I just I just feel like Disney has had this issue in the past with Star Wars, where a lot is good, but oversaturation, which is a which is really easy to tip into, is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw that last year. Speaking of a movie that premiered a can with a kind of gentle collapse of Solo, Solo ended up doing okay worldwide, but like it was not what they wanted it to be. And then they and got they have scaled back. They on got Star freaked Wars out yeah. and canceled the Boba Fett thing. They canceled whatever else. And I just feel like something in this narrative of Disney saying in one year, let's forget the Marvel properties. We're going to put out Dumbo, then we're going to do Aladdin, then we're going to do Lion King, then we're going to do Toy Story 4. Right. Something has to give Well, and is there anything, I mean, Lion King at least seems technically, visually interesting. Right. What's interesting about this Aladdin, it just feels like they said... You know, wow, we have a big fan base. Mm-hmm. Look how many people go see it on Broadway. By the way, the Broadway show is fun and cute. Like, bring a kid. You know, it's good. But, like, I don't know. Why Why make the movie again? It doesn't really, it just doesn't seem like it has a reason to exist other than, like, on a spreadsheet, they were like, this will make, you know, yeah. $150 million if we spend whatever right. we spend on it. And we could get, could we get Will Smith? Really? You think we could get Will Smith? It feels like that kind of a thing versus somebody saying, like, Wow, there's a really I could be wrong, but yeah. like is there some new take on Aladdin coming well, out? Well, I think it's crucial that you brought up the stage show because yes, there is a Broadway musical of Aladdin on Broadway, but it has nothing of the profile that the Beauty and the Beast musical had on Broadway for years. That was the first Disney musical b- before The Lion King. Right. And so it had generations of people not only just seeing that show on Broadway, but seeing it re- regional productions. I mean, every summer stock theater in the country does that at least, you know, once a summer every 5 years. Right. And so when they announced a live-action Beauty and the Beast, people, I think, were more responding to, I want to see a movie version of what I saw on stage, in some senses, than what I saw on film. And I don't know that Aladdin has that same yeah. length. You know, it doesn't, really, because the musical's been out for a lot less time, and it just doesn't have the same profile. I mean, one thing I want to give Disney credit for is the fact that this Aladdin is cast in a way that the cartoon was not in terms of like not having a bunch of white people play people from Agrabah you know so that's that is something you know and, and like right. at yeah. least the the design of it is hopefully like a little bit more I mean it's I'm not knocking the cartoon like the cartoon is great and I'm not knocking it but like looking at the trailer like some of the visuals of like the Prince Ali musical number or something like that like that looks like really cool in a way that's steeped in not a you know white perspective I think you know knowing knowing how Disney is minding their P's and Q's when it turn when it comes to like you know making sure that if they're representing a culture they're representing that culture um I, I'm at least interested in seeing that you know yeah, and they've got uh, the um, mostly black voice cast for uh, The Lion King, except for Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen as Simone and Boomba, which I'm sure will have its own hot take economy uh, to run parallel to the Quentin Tarantino hot take economy. It's going to be a hot summer. Yeah, so, and Disney, as you mentioned, they have uh, Toy Story 4 also mm-hmm. later on. And then <laughs> Frozen 2 and the last Star Wars movie are on the horizon. Like, yeah. I'm kind of feeling like. Like as soon as Endgame goes away, like the next massive Disney thing is going to come crashing down on you. It does feel a little wearisome. Well, it's exhausting. And then if you look, you know, elsewhere on the summer schedule, it's not just Disney getting in on this. We have a fourth Men in Black movie coming out mm-hmm. with you know a, 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 the wonderful pairing of Chris Hemsworth and um, Tessa oh Thompson. Tessa Thompson, thank you from from Avengers um, or, or the Thor movies um, more specifically. But like 
eh, like are people wanting another Men in Black movie? Are people wanting another X-Men movie? Two X-Men movies kind of coming out this summer? Like, yeah. I just feel like at a certain point, aren't we going to get to this that story's been told before, you know? Yeah, the X-Men thing is the big question for me, I think, because, it, you know, the X-Men franchise is in a really weird uh, transitional phase where Disney or Fox has been bought by Disney. Fox has the rest of these X-Men movies, which are coming out this summer. But, like, presumably Dark Phoenix, which stars Sophie Turner, Turner, who's been doing great work on Game of Thrones, is going to be the last edition of this version of X-Men. But it does feel like an anticlimax for this franchise that has, I think, the best cast of any of the ongoing superhero franchises, but has never seemed to, like, get its footing quite the same way as Marvel. It does feel like a shame. I mean, yeah, it is a shame. I think First Class was like is maybe my favorite X Men movie, which is like the introduction of James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender and stuff like that. Um, and then they handed the franchise back over to Brian Singer, and it went into like a weird territory that I did not enjoy at all. I think Apocalypse is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. But um, you know, they they were like decided to double down on Sophie Turner in this Jean Grey role. This is a huge comic book storyline, the Dark Phoenix storyline. Like it's a favorite comic book storyline so it has a lot of capital in that regard um and then you've got you know some additions to the cast like jessica chastain has a huge role jessica chastain put out a really interesting game of thrones reaction tweet i don't know if you saw this but she was like she's reacting to the sansa little bird controversial conversation that happened and she was like she was never a little bird she's always a phoenix it was like this weird like dig at game of thrones that while was also dark phoenix yeah yeah it was it was a fascinating decision jessica chastain knows how to combine her interests on twitter <laughs> I guess so. But um, yeah, the, this this idea of like putting all your chips of the franchise on Sophie Turner, who is who has been great on Game of Thrones and has like a huge fan base. So like I think people will show up to see her do that. But I didn't think, you know, she didn't seem like a great fit for the part in the last film she showed up in. So I, I don't really know how it's all going to pan out. But I have, I have some hopes for it. They did actually film another X-Men movie. Maisie Williams uh, filmed this, like, horror X-Men, teen X-Men thing that they did um, that, you know, Maisie Williams said in a recent interview, she's like, I don't know if that's ever coming out. She's really? like, I don't know at this point. Yeah. They filmed the whole thing. It was supposed to come out, like, a year ago. And then it's just been, like, like Dark Phoenix. They've both been just, like, shelved and shelved and shelved and shelved. So we'll see. Oh, boy. Let's do one more superhero before we move on maybe to some smaller stuff that's coming. How are we feeling about Spider-Man? There was a new trailer. Jake Gyllenhaal is playing the villain, which continues to fascinate me. I mean, it, it's weird. It, it feels kind of boring to be like, oh, well, the Avengers ones are good. But, like, this one looks good. Yeah. I mean, I watched the trailer recently. And, well, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen Avengers Endgame. Sorry, Sorry Mike. Mike. Um, <laughs> that's fine. I'll be I fake. actually don't care. I'll be fake. Uh, but, you know, that basically the new trailer for Spider-Man, there was a teaser a couple months ago. Is like okay. This takes place after Endgame in this very particular way. Yeah. Um, in well, what's funny is that from the first trailer, the existence of the movie was a spoiler for Endgame because Spider-Man's in it and had disappeared well, at the end of Infinity War. Unless it was War. a prequel, Katie. You never That's know. That's true. They were really um, uh, they really had me on tenterhooks. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the trailer's good. I think that Tom Holland is great in the role. I, I like that John Favreau seems to be getting a bigger part as an actor. You know, he obviously was very <laughs> integral in, in behind the scenes and getting <laughs> and this whole has, franchise also started. has The Lion King coming out this summer. Also what has summer The Lion King. I mean, good Lord, who would have guessed seeing Swingers? But, um, <laughs> so it's a good trailer. But I watched it and I was like, oh my God, like we, I, we just did this three hour mm -hmm. end of the thing. You know, I knew it was not ending everything. But I'm just like, are we really going to swing back into this storyline? 
But how can you, know? you not, given what happens? I mean, like, that's the thing is, is I have some sympathy for Sony because, you know, Sony and Marvel are in this co-pro arrangement, right? Where, like, they have shared ownership a bit of Spider-Man and this is a Sony film, but, like, they have to sort of bow to Marvel's schedule. So, like, the Marvel didn't want this movie to come out now. They wanted it much later so that, you know, they didn't have to do that dance around, like, is it a prequel? We don't know, you know, sort of thing. Like, obviously, they didn't want this movie coming out so close to Endgame. But Sony did, and so and and per their contract, they could make that happen. So you get it coming right off the heels of it, and then so then they are constrained by having to deal with the massive consequences of all the things that happen in Endgame because it's not just like, oh, X happened to Y character. It's like an entire, I don't know, reality shifting thing happened, and they have to deal with it in their fun, zippy high school, like Tom Holland, <laughs> Zendaya, like sh- movie. And that's, I mean, I have some sympathy for them for that. Like, probably, you know, they're going to make a ton of money, so a limited amount of sympathy. But like, storytelling wise, they are shackled to this other thing. And that is, you know, it's kind of a fascinating codependent relationship. But it does look fun and zippy enough that I feel like having seen Endgame, I don't feel like it's like, okay, all right, let's go deal with heavy emotions again. Like, I want to see, like, them running around Venice on gondolas with, like, Jake Gyllenhaal emerging out of a lightning cloud. Like, it, it does seem, you know, a little bit more old school what you expect from superhero movies. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that what we're going to see is, a, is that reduction in scale, you know. And I think that, that stories are going to be more individual. It's going to be less about coalescing some giant, you know, pan-universe battle to end all battles like which is you know which is fine and that's why i responded positively i think ultimately to the spider-man trailer but um i don't know i'll be curious because i've been saying it for a few years now and maybe i'm totally just not thinking properly in this whole new hollywood economy but i'm like there has to be one of these marvel movies that does bad there has to be at some point right like i mean i guess you could argue like the ant-man movies just did okay but no they made a lot of money you know like there has not been a bomb yet and i'm just there ha- there's going to be one. I, I thought it was going to be the first Ant-Man, and then I thought it was going to be Doctor Strange, and then when it wasn't, I just, like, like learned to relax yeah. and, and love the bomb. You know, I was just like, okay, there's, there's, there's no ceiling on this at all. Like, here we go, so... All right, so let's pivot and talk about maybe some smaller movies, which uh, we could theoretically wind up talking about some of these for Oscar buzz later on. I think uh, talking about Oscar hopefuls in summer is sometimes a fool's errand. But uh, Richard, you saw a lot of the movies uh, at Sundance. We were talking mm. about how summer is becoming a big time for Sundance movies. So of those, what kind of are you most excited to for other people to see? I mean, I think the big one is The Farewell, mm-hmm. which is out in July, I believe. Um, it just released a new trailer as well. just released a new trailer. I believe I'm quoted on the poster. Oh. Um, so you but, get a cut from this conversation that they're yeah, paying Yeah, we get a 10 grand. It's a yeah. little less than Marvel pays me, but <laughs> it'll do. Um, but it's such a great movie. And I think my quote is something very generic, like a true crowd pleaser. But it is. And mm. it was a big hit at Sundance. It's from this director, Lulu Wang. Um, it's a very personal story about her going home to uh, her you know, ancestral city in China because her grandmother is uh, not well. It's funny, it's sad, it's Aquafina in a serious role, and she's kind of dropped a lot of her affectation. She's more just kind of like naturally her. I think it has a potential to make a lot of money, but also be kind of, I don't know if it's a, I mean like screenplay, maybe awardsy or whatever, but like it's just a really good movie from a really promising young director and offers many of us who are not, you know, intimately, personally familiar with Chinese immigrant experience a window into a, a, a vast world that it sort of, you know, says a lot of interesting things about. I was just looking at the dates. It's coming out one day off from when 8th grade came out last summer, there and it's go. an A24 mm. release. Like, yeah. you can really they know what see doing. it. Yeah, they really <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah. 
But MoviePass isn't around anymore. I swear to you, MoviePass really changed how moving growing happened. At, uh, the, the eighth grade is the MoviePass, a success story. Um, the title I keep getting the farewell confused with, and I don't think the movies are at all like, but is The Souvenir, mm. which came out at Sundance as well. I think yeah. it's just like the single word title. Um, that's coming out, I believe. That's uh, like May 17th, I want to yeah, say. So, it's, so yeah. it's right around the corner. Yeah. So is that does that have the same hit potential? Is it more of like no, a No, no, that's thing? much more esoteric, arty. I mean, it's it's very curiously plotted. It's, I mean, it's beautiful memory piece, kind of similar to The Farewell. And, and it's about women looking back at moments in their lives and sort of picking them apart. But... Uh, no, the, the 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 and the souvenir is by no means a comedy. It's a okay. serious drama about addiction. Um, but it's really great. And Tilda Swinton's daughter makes a really splashy film debut in it. Um, Tilda Swinton is also in it. Yeah, I think that'll be in the vein of I don't know a quiet passion or something that like critics really love at the end of the year. But like. What never maybe wasn't a big hit, or the wife. The wife played really well mm. all of last summer and uh, came close yeah. to that best actress. This win. is a little more alienating. It's okay. a little the storyline is a little harder to follow, but yeah. Uh, another one that you mentioned uh, Oscar-wise in your preview, Richard, was Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which I feel like a lot of us have been a little concerned about because it also keeps getting pushed back and back and mm-hmm. back, and it's Richard Linklater and Kate Blanchett. Uh, you're still holding the flame for it? Well, yeah, I haven't read the book, so I don't have any particular uh, allegiance to it. I mean, I have allegiance, I guess, in some senses to Linklater, although his last movie was not great, and to Blanchett. And I was thinking, oh, man, they keep pushing this movie back. It was supposed to open last fall. Then it was supposed to open this spring. And then they moved it. But the slot they moved it into is like the Meryl Streep, you know, slash the help slot. So maybe it's going to live really well there. I don't know. Yeah, that 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 August slot can really, I mean, we've got Hobbs and Shaw that's going to, you know, <laughs> run rampant all over August. But other than that, there's room for surprises. It, it reminds me of comparing it to other Linklater things just from seeing the trailer. It reminds me of that like Bernie type of a mode. Or sort of like a quirky true story um, that he's going to bring to life in his weird, like offbeat Austin way. I mean, I always, I always like him in that mode, I even love if it's not Bernie. major, major Linklater. Well, it's interesting when he does stuff that has a plot. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ouch. You know? No, and I'm, I, I mean, I love yeah. his plotless movies, but like, uh-huh. you know, it's but when he does, when he has a plot. I mean, I mentioned the last movie, Last Flag Flying. It's a nice movie. It's got good performances, but it just, it, it doesn't feel him. You know, yeah. it feels like any studio guy could have made this movie. Well, or when you said his last yeah. movie wasn't good, I was like, everybody wants some was fine, Richard. Why are you so mean? I completely uh, no, no. Last forgot about flying. Yes. Opened the New York Film Festival, Katie. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. But this, you know, is based on a beloved novel, and it's really, you know, it's. I, I think it's interesting with him working with a, like a female lead. You know, um, he oh, sorry, so not based on a true true story, well, I guess, uh, but a literary it? kind yeah. of thing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's like his quirky Gone Girl. Yeah, almost. Yeah, there you go. Maybe. You got a great. If we're lucky. Support, yeah, great supporting cast. So I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people are like, eh, that thing's cooked. Like they've, they, they keep dumping it. You know, to, kicking it down the road. I, I think that there could be something a little more strategic about that kicking than we're giving it credit for. All right. Um, all right, Joanna. What's one more thing that you want to say that you're psyched about, or want to make sure that we uh, shout out? Uh, the Jim Jarmusch zombie movie. <laughs> oh yeah, we skipped right yeah. over that with Can Talk. Everybody's yeah. in that movie. So, The Dead Don't Die, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, Bill Murray, Chloe Sevigny, Rosie Perez, and Selena Gomez. I don't know. The trailer just has me... I mean, I love Jim Jarmusch, and this is a great cast, and like the idea of highbrow, lowbrow together is also always fun. You know what I mean? So, Jim Jarmusch does a zombie movie is delightful on its face um so yeah i'm i i mean maybe i'll be hideously disappointed that's sort of my 2019 attitude maybe i'll be hideously disappointed <laughs> um but it looks i don't know it looks really fun what do you what are you hearing about it 
Um, I don't. I haven't heard anything about it other than that it's opening can, and I think that's such a fun, weird, quirky way to open a serious film festival like that. You know, like let let people have some fun. Because like, um, how to train your dragon sometimes opens can. Like, well, it's it's weird what is opening can and what isn't because if it's out of competition, it doesn't really count. But oh, this sure, is sure. in competition, I think, so mm-hmm. it does more. Anyway, it's all very confusing. But just the idea of like everyone in like full black ties sitting down and watching Selena Gomez like hitting zombies in the brains like I'm like (laughs) cool yeah 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 and Iggy Pop is in it playing a zombie Carol Kane has a great line in the trailer where they say the zombies keep seeking out things they loved in life and she just comes staggering out going Chardonnay you know (laughs) (laughs) so I don't know I laugh at the trailer I think it's gonna be fun again that's something that comes out soon after the premiere so people won't have to wait too long which I think always helps so yeah um I can't believe it's been 14 years since uh, Jim Jarmusch and Bill Murray made Broken Flowers. Has it been that long? Wow. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, that's wow. great. Anyway, that's a want to feel old for me. I feel like <laughs> yeah. I saw that, you know, like right. not yesterday. too long ago. But um, but that what? was a kind of a cool little movie. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, Jim Jarmusch always does something interesting, right? I mean, and well, again, like, interesting when he has when his movies have a plot, you know? Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I was going to, to counter that, Coffee and Cigarettes is one of my favorite movies of all time. And that's just like great... Bill Murray, Iggy Popness, and I yeah. don't know. I just, I'm, I'm excited. Well, and I was gonna shout out him and uh, Adam Driver working together on Patterson, which I think which is, is the last movie he made, which is lovely yeah. and, and, and plotless. And a can yeah. movie, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's he's liked there. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the kind of thing that it might be artier than it looks in the trailer, like a little weirder because he's it's still Jim Jarmusch, Jar- yeah. but like that again could be great summer counter programming too. What is a lot of like sequels and you know rehashes of old properties that like maybe this is a year where that smaller stuff can really find traction because the bigger stuff is just not like stirring people's you know emotion um well richard you'll be at can by this time next week so you're mm-hmm. gonna uh, have seen a lot of the stuff you'll be sending us a dispatch from there and yep. let us know what you've seen or unless you just see rocket man and decide to start life all over again as like a well, john Trudy you know, band. i'm not ruling anything out yeah uh, i will have if people want a more sort of digestible sifting through this in print form early next week I'll have a little like blank number of movies to watch at Cannes or whatever um, even if you're not going to the festival just like fun to keep an eye on like what titles are premiering when yeah keeping track of what's what and like, yeah. what's the foreign language title and what's the Americanized title and uh-huh. everything can be a challenge for those yeah. of us who stay home mm-hmm. know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good watch the movie everyone's been talking about or catch the show the internet can't get over at the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast we chase that feeling five times a week We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. So back into TV world briefly, uh, Richard, you talked to Anna Klumski, who is uh, one of the stars of Veep. She's had this kind of incredible run as uh, the part of the harsh tongue cast of that show. And uh, I assume you and I both grew up with her as a child star, which is a fascinating thing to watch. It's it's weird how that's not part of her narrative anymore. Like, I thought of her so clearly with My Girl, and now she's just Veep. Yeah, well, she sat right where you were sitting, Katie. Oh, my goodness. Um, but yeah, that's something that was really interesting. And I, and I, you know, when you interview people who are adults now and are work, still working in the profession, it can be touchy to ask them about their childhood, you know. And, and, I, and I did kind of walk in that direction, and I saw her kind of tense up. And I wasn't going to ask her, like, what was it like being on set with Macaulay Culkin? Like, I was never <laughs> going to ask her that. You're a professional. But, but, this, the, but she did, you know, answer me, and the, and the interesting distinction she made was really about that like her career now as a grown up, you know, post 
acting school and all that, she really views as a different career than, than the one she had when she was a kid because she's much more aware of what she wants to do. So huh. she articulates that really well in the interview. She talks about, you know, the, the you know, the end of Veep, which is a big, you know, thing for both her and for all of us who've loved that show for this many years. Um, so, yeah, it was really great to talk to her. And I managed to not, you know, ask her, which I really wanted to, what was what McCulloch called like? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's listen to your conversation with Anna Klumski. Well, I have the pleasure today of sitting across the table from Anna Klumski, who is just about to end her run on Veep, one of the biggest comedy hits of the new century, I think. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, now, I know you've rapped on everything, so your yes. your role in that is done. Obviously, you're still promoting. But, yes. like, how does it, how do you feel right now about the end of Veep? Oh, I mean, I just feel profoundly grateful that this all uh, came to pass and that I got to be a part of such a, a fantastic show um, that I think is may live on, you know, like not I mean, obviously be wrapped, but I mean, just that will resonate from 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 uh, now till till kingdom comes. So that's pretty cool. Um, that's what they're saying. I don't know. That's the bet. I don't know how long it'll resonate. None of us are going to be here at Kingdom Come, but you know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I feel very grateful. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about the show's continued relevance is that there were choices made to not specifically mention any particular administration, any mm-hmm. particular political issue. So it mm-hmm. actually could, I think. That's the point. Exists. That's the exact point. You yeah. Know, because politicians, unfortunately, are probably always going to be these venal, you know, like have been nightmares. have been since the dawn of time. Right. So you know the 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 moment that one human being said to another human being, "I can figure this out, and you're going to listen to me," it has been rife for satire. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's the end of things in terms of you know wrapping on the show. I want to go back a little bit to the beginning about. Kind of, and ask you where you were when Veep came along. I know that mm. you'd worked with Armando before yes. in um, in the Loop. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm just kind of curious because you, you you took some time off from your career to go to school and and mm-hmm. and do that, and then you were doing theater and other TV stuff, and then this plum role on an HBO show comes up. What was the sort of origin of that like? Oh my gosh, it was uh, from I. It has always felt very much like it was beyond me in a way, um, in that in the most beautiful sense. Like it's it's taught me what that feels like, and now I'm kind of like okay, like it makes you pay attention to to the stuff that's at work that maybe you not you know you didn't even have a, a hand in because it was so so how it happened for me was um, I had done in the loop with Arm with Armanda Yunucci and with Simon Blackwell and Tony Roche and Jesse Armstrong and. It was the best moment of my career to date. Like, it was heaven. It was um, a joy to work with them. It was They are so collaborative. And it was the most money I'd made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that whole myth that, like, you know, you hear about of, like, oh, you have to choose quality or money, that, that was debunked for me from a very early onset in my career by In The Loop. So thank you, In The Loop, you know, for that. And so I just loved it. And so then, yeah, for like maybe a year to two years, it was a lot of like 
doing pilots that didn't get picked up, you know, just paying rent by by getting this or that guest spot, definitely still doing theater because that's, that's where I, I flex the muscles and it's like going to the gym and, you know, and so doing that, but then also, yeah, doing some rent payers, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I did some stuff that, that just wasn't feeling like the thing you sign up for and you're like, ugh. Um, you know, and, and that led me, I, I, I found this journal entry a long, you know, a while ago, but I had written down like in some despair, some creative despair, I had written, can't I just work for Armando Yunucci again? That's <laughs> all I want. And, you know, months later, after I think I had written that, I got wind that he was going to be doing this pilot, this political pilot, um, about the vice president. Uh, for HBO, which I had always, I mean, HBO was the reason why anybody signs up to do anything, you know, like to do right. TV really at that time. And I was just like, you know, um, always kind of felt like that was the creative home. And and so, you know, I didn't think that that was going to be a possibility. I thought, God, will they even audition me? Like, please, I want to just audition. And I had done some HBO auditions before that and gotten, you know, so so it wasn't out of the realm of possibility, but at the same time, it was very much like, oh, I wonder if that's even a, can I even dream about something like that? Right. Um, I got my hands on the pilot to read it, and I read it, laughed out loud on the subway, and I was like, oh, it's it's Arm, it's my guys, It's this is how it is, this, they're doing it, you know? So then I wrote Arm, and I just said, I read the pilot. It's fantastic. Um, congrats. Like, you know, just like, you know, break a leg or something. And he wrote back, and he was like, did you notice the name of the character? Because Amy's original name was Anna. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, interesting. And so, you know, therein began the kind of, like, psychological struggle of, like, listening and hearing, but going, no, not possible. It, you know, so I— I was just like, yeah, and, you know, just I kind of I told myself not to think much of it because you just don't. You don't plan for things you don't know. And, you know, yeah. so, yeah, then I kind of was just one like I kept on on to my manager. Like, when are they going to audition for this? When are they going to screen test for this? And that like there were like kind of no answers. And then and then Arm called and said, we're going to give you the role. We're going to change the name to Amy because we want to give you the role. And I had been through enough like pilot crap by then mm-hmm. that I was like and and like studio kind of like you know um not lining up with the creator stuff so that I I kind of I think he probably wanted me to have all the joy of hearing that news and I went and I was like yeah okay so so um I when I see the like I can't wait to see the contract <laughs> you know it was one right. of those like I wanted to sign on the dotted line before I got excited about this yeah um and and then I did, and then I did get the phone call that that HBO was like actually going to give me a, a dotted line to sign, and and then I was like exultant. Yeah. Um, and then it was chemistry reads with everybody else, and and I met Julia, and then yeah, then it was then the casting process started for everyone else. So that's that's how it happened, and I, you can see why it's still like you can't believe that that's how it it occurred because usually you're used to just like banging on the doors and, right. you know, beating the pavement. And, and of course, all of the beating of pavement up till then paid off because you're practicing and because you're getting better right. at what you do. And, um, you know, but but then this, like you said, plum, plum moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's the kind of thing where 
the success of the show, I feel like in the first season, as is often the case with first seasons, people were like, oh, this is good. But like it took a little while for people to kind of really pick up on, on, mm. on, on like I think it, and to get a broader fan base. Yeah. Is there a moment when a show starts to be a success, though, where any of that doubt goes away or does it just evolve into a different kind of like worry of the sort of uncertainty of the job? I, I, I hate to answer so politically, but I think it's both. I, it's, you know... I think it really felt like, oh, we've got an audience, people are paying attention, and now we can run with it. I feel like the the closest to that feeling we ever had was after we we had, I think, like gotten a se- like several nominations mm-hmm. and stuff. And not to say that like awards dictate the quality of something, because really you really just want to make the best show you can. But I think that that at least spoke to the validation of what we were doing. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like the broader public validation. And of course, I wasn't a producer on the show, so I didn't have I didn't have that kind of mindset and pressure that maybe some, you know, all of our execs did. Um, you know, and it's funny though, because then when we actually did finally win an Emmy for our, for best show, that was also the same um, like month that we were about to start a new regime with right. new with new writers and new so there was always a sense of I mean I, I think it's sort of storied now that we definitely had a very chaotic <laughs> production schedule um, no one's kind of shy about saying that anymore so um, so yeah there was always a sense of like oh god Oh God! Like there was always a sense of of terror. Yeah, um. <laughs> a clenched kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How how was that? I mean, because um, for people who don't know, Armando Iannucci left the show. I'm I mean, I'm on, on good terms, I think. Right? It was just like new time for a new thing. Yes. Yes. And you had a new kind of crew. It was come like in, a fresh blood change right, over to, yeah. to write the show and run the show. How was that in terms of just as an actor? Was it was it? certainly something I had never gone through before yeah. and certainly something that you like to tell yourself isn't going to affect you um, as much as it ultimately probably is. You know, it's. It, I think a lot of us love to pretend, a lot of us human beings, um, pretend that, you know, we can kind of keep our emotions out of work in a weird way. You know, like right. sort of like, oh, well, that's work, work. You know, you don't go to work to make friends or you don't, you know, all these adages we have about like, oh, you clock in, you clock out, and then you do your life or um, – and I think that, you know, especially, of course, in our job, you are involving so much of your actual emotional body and your physical body in the job that it's – you can't deny how much that does actually affect you. Even if you're not doing our job, though, you know, you sp- a, a person spends a very good portion of their daily life at work and and you're living and breathing at that place. And whether or not you feel akin to your coworkers or not – you still are living that life. And so when that shifts, when that changes, yeah, I think about, you know, any company that gets sold or like, you know, it's yeah. it's sort of that, you know, that kind of like, wait, why is this affecting me? It's just, a, you know, it's my job. It's not my, you know, my heart or something. And it's like, no, it kind of is because you're spending yeah. all your time with these people. Um, Especially if it's something you like. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, like. yeah. yeah. And, and as the actor, you're not getting a lot of the information. Mm-hmm. And I'm, some people are much better at accepting that they don't have information than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a bit, you know, um, I'm a researcher, and so like I like to I like to gather information. And so for me, when that happened, it was definitely like um, a sort of marathon of of just like data collection for me of just like what's going on, what happened, who is it that, but and so. I think it. I think ultimately it was a bit agitated. Um, however, 
you know, you were on board. Like I had to be on board. All of us had to be on board for for continuing the show and for respecting Arm's wishes. And then ultimately for understanding all of our new writers and understanding our new showrunner, Dave Mandel, and his vision and, and, and supporting, you know, the show that Julia had so much become, uh, you know, a part of her, like just living and breathing. So... Yeah, I think it was. It felt more personal than I think any of us expected, yeah. um, and I think possibly that's what really made us start to understand that, like, oh, this do- this is a family dynamic. This does feel like a family situation yeah. <laughs> more more than you even you know more than just like a paycheck. And you know, it's it's interesting you talk about it as a family thing because it definitely feels that way as a viewer. You know, you you're you're all in such beautiful sync with one another. But I think that maybe from the outside, from maybe from my like media perspective, there's a narrative to Veep that is a lot about Julia and mm-hmm. about you know breaking the quote Seinfeld curse or whatever oh, you know you know like oh, all I this see. stuff. And I wonder like as you know her co-players in on the show, how do you manage this kind of like Veep as star vehicle for one person, but also this amazing ensemble? Like is that ever I, was that, that ever was a concern? never yeah. like like you yeah. saying that to me right now yeah. is giving yeah. me a whole new perspective because I never had that perspective and I don't think a lot of us did. Okay. Yeah. Um I mean I don't even I mean I'm not gonna speak for her, but I don't think she even had that perspective right. a whole lot. Just because um yeah, I mean uh, yeah, like it it was it's very much about the story on that show. Like it's very much about the yeah, just the characters, the satire, the the situations, the um, the crazy politicking plot. Like that's we just wanted to play and make a good show. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't yeah. think any of us ever considered it some kind of. I mean, yeah, like some kind Julia of vehicle, Louis Dreyfus narrative or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. but I do understand yeah. how that could be from anybody else's point of view. Yeah. Um, who's not making it? I, I, yeah, I, I in no way devalidate that, but it's, but for us, certainly not our perspective. Do you see her being? You know, she's a producer on the show. She's very involved in that. Do you see that and say, oh, that's something you would want, like going forward, is to be that involved um, on the kind of backs, you know, behind the camera stuff? I mean. I don't have an actual ambition to be a producer, like the title. I mean, you know, as in when, what do you want to be when you grow up? Some people do want to be producers when they grow up. I, you know, that wasn't the thing I signed up for. However, I have experienced and now I do see watching Julie and also watching other people I know on other shows that – it is the credit you need in order to have some creative input. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really lucky to have some creative input into Amy's stuff um, this last season. However, that's that was definitely more the exception than the rule if you don't have that, um, that negotiated credit. So from a very professional standpoint, I can definitely see why that's useful. And there have been some projects that I was even entertaining um, post-Veep that I already, you know, have been like, well, if you guys want me involved in this, yeah, like I, I'm going to have to have input. So it's much more of like a, of a technicality than it is like an ambition. Right. Um, also that said, I, I do have like books that I'm attached to that I'm always shopping, Mm. but it's, it's very much, again, it's not because I'm like, I need to be a producer. Like it's not that it's, it's absolutely because 
I just want to see these things made. I want to watch them. And if no one else is going to do them, then I guess I have to. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and if and and I, you know, and if anyone's going to do them right, then I guess it has to be me. You know, like that. It's sort of it's sort of that feeling of like, uh, you know, um, a little bit more of like the nurturing element than it sure. is, you know, and the like, yeah, just like the well, I guess I gotta do it. Well, and I think that's a, a lot of times, honestly, <laughs> how a lot of actors get into the or sort of yeah. producing co job, sure, you know, because sure. because it's it's that kind of thing of like. You know, acting is such a, an interesting profession because it's one of the few arts where, like, you kind of almost can't do it unless someone lets you, you yeah, know? Yeah, It's like you, you can Very busk much. on a street corner if you have a guitar or yeah. whatever, but, like, acting— I can practice you monologues I mean, you at do. my house, yeah, right. and that's what I do on yeah, my off-season, yeah. but, yeah. yeah. So do you see now that, that, that this show, this wonderful, you know, almost decade um, of, of your professional life is coming to an end in some senses— um, I've talked to certain actors who've had kind of runs on good shows before, and they're like, "I'm just so scared that the material's never going to be as good." Yeah, do you that like a fear? It's yeah. totally a fear. Yeah, I mean, listen, any fear is like in at this point, you know, like there's because yeah. it's the unknown. Every single unknown, you know, that's again a human condition thing. It's like. Yeah, there's so much unknown right now. And we can, you know, you can you can do all the acceptance and all of the, you know, um, Zen stuff where you go, wow, well, now I'm actually excited about the unknown and it could be wonderful. And it's that's actually true. Mm-hmm. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like that the reason that is something that everybody is aspiring to is because that is actually true. That, you know, that if you trust life, then then you're in it and your your relationship to it will be beautiful because you're alive. Um Eckhart Tolle, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's scary. Cause you know, you're just, le- it's, it just feels more safe yeah. to, to know something to, like, I mean, I, it's like what we described before. I'm definitely one of the types of people who, who really likes information and you know, why do I like information? Because it's safe. Cause it's like, Oh, it's a, you know, this it's is, secure. this it's is a fact. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, all those fears are there, but um, but I think not fighting those, but then also just accepting the other the other as well, like the you know the excitement of the unknown um, in tandem. Yeah, makes me breathe more easily. Well, you've also you've been in the business a long time. You started as a as a kid. Um, yeah. And do you have you do you view that career as one long continuum, or do no. you think you're you're adult? I absolutely don't. I, it's de- so crazy. Thing. This is something I talk about in my therapist's office. But no, I don't. I um, it can be really confusing for me. Sometimes, sometimes less so than others. But it can be confusing for me when when it something I do now is resultant of something from my quote unquote previous career. I call them two different careers yeah. Yeah. because you know. When you start something at 10 months old, it's not your decision and it's not – and you can be on board as much as you want and you can enjoy doing it as much as you want. Like I loved, you know, doing Molly in Annie. You know what I mean? Of course I loved that. Um, But like it it isn't on purpose and it isn't part of your own, you know – like your brain's not even developed until you're 24. So, right? So it's like, you know, you – it's just a kind of a different person a little bit leading that life. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like the careers are very different. One was one was because I was I was good. It's similar to anybody in school. It's like, oh, I'm I can I can hit this this ball really far. So I'm gonna do t ball and little league as much as I can. And that kind of is the same thing. 
um, oh, I'm good at this. People like it. People are pleased with the way that this turned out, so I'm going to, you know, go for that. That's a childhood outlook, right? Yeah. That's a childhood motivation. That's a childhood, you know, car- career. So th- so that is separate, you know, from when I went to theater, you know, as an adult and went, God, I got to do that. I've got to mm-hmm. I've got to communicate text like that to an audience cuz that's just the juice and that's just beautiful um and noble. That's a whole other thing than like, I guess I'll run with this because I'm good at it, right? Like right. that's no. totally different. So that was almost a separate realization as a, you know, young adult where you Definitely. were like going to theater as an as a as an audience member and you're yes. like, wait, that That's amazing. Yeah. Look yeah. what just happened. This and it was... felt different than what you'd done previous. I mean yes. or that, that feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. That's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's yeah. why that's why it can it can continue to feed me, even on the really hard days when I was doing ten free shows off off, you know, back to back. <laughs> Just to get on the boards, and you're just like, oh, when is is this gonna ever pay bills? And you're, and then you go, well, at least I'm doing it. Like at least I'm practicing. At least I'm doing it. As a kid, that didn't matter. Like as a kid, it was like, you know, yeah, it, it wasn't about like, oh, at least I'm doing a noble craft. Well, right, <laughs> you yeah, you, you, yeah. Passion is not something that I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to sort of quantify passion for yeah, a kid, but for an yeah. adult, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, and that, I think that's okay. I think yeah. that that's and that's why it's like. Those feel so separate. And just lately, every once in a while, you'll be like, why Why am I bothered when this director talks to me as if I'm, you know, because I'm like, oh, it's because I've been, I've literally had my SAG card for 20 years longer than they have. You know, like there's like, there'll be <laughs> yeah. moments where you're like, this is bizarre or this is, you know, where your your consciousness does kind of carry over from when you were a child to now. But like your mind doesn't. It's just like. You know, it kind of feels like the person the person looking at the world is sort of the same, but, like, the person making decisions is not. Does yeah. that make any sense? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think I th- it, makes <laughs> a lot, it, 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 it makes a lot of sense. And I think also, you know, as someone who is aware of the work you did uh, as a kid but and, and has really enjoyed watching your, your stuff now, I see Amy – and you know that the show is caustic. It's full of swears. It's mm-hmm. it's and and I've never thought like, oh, that's Anna like trying to like get rid of her child acting. God you know, reputation. bless you, you know, for not thinking it, that. It feels very dis- <laughs> separate. It feels discreet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also I have the benefit of I, I'm so grateful for this. I have the benefit of having trained. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Since so it's like I wasn't using a craft as a kid, and now I'm using a craft, and so it's like. That's why it's different too, and 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 I'm and I'm assuming that what you're seeing, you know, as an audience member, feels different because I'm literally doing, I'm literally approaching this entire thing as completely differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, specifically, um, let's talk about Amy because, <laughs> and I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything. I for, I've seen the first three episodes okay. of the new season, uh-huh. but I don't. When this airs, I don't know. I think the, the what second episode will have will, seen. Yeah. Okay, but like in, in a general sense, um, she's dealing with an issue that many women deal with in terms of yeah. you know pregnancy and mm-hmm. what trying to make those decisions um in a in a world where those decisions are often influenced by outside political sort of ideology sure. and all that yeah and life yeah just and, well, all of course. the factors yeah, yeah. Um, all the factors you didn't even know existed until now yeah go ahead and i'm curious <laughs> no absolutely yeah and i'm curious about your thoughts on this is a show that is not afraid to touch the third rail it it, yeah. it it's taboo whatever i love that metaphor but like is there anything that you've been like, oh, I don't know, is that too no, over the line? I yeah. wanted to I yeah. wanted well, first of all, I I wanted to go down this road with this um plot 
for her and this arc for her because it felt organic to her. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was first and foremost the most important thing to me, and it usually is. Is like because you know an actor is paid to think about one character. The writers and directors and exec producers they're, they're thinking about everything. And so it's like we're the distillers, right? And so it's like when I see, you know, something happen in the script to my character, I'm the one who's going, okay, what would she, how would she behave? What would she do? What is what is she going through? What is she thinking? And so for me, it was very important to convey those things if we were going to put her in this position. And that is why it was like I think yeah, we were like at a bonfire at South by and Dave and I were sitting next to each other, and I just I that I was like, "What are we gonna do? Let's 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 go down this road." And he was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're gonna." He's like, "I I think we gotta," and I'm like, "Yeah, we gotta." Mm-hmm. So it, we just felt like you know, like we could just fly from there, and um, and we we even used the word brave not to like pat ourselves on the back for bravery, but more in a sense of like, if our entire like purpose here is to examine you know, society, which it is for satire, like, we've got to have the courage to do something that maybe hasn't been done a lot on TV yet. We've got to have that courage. So, um, so then we just were like, well, yeah, (laughs) like, (laughs) ooh, if we're doing this for, you know, if we're doing this to be grownups and to be courageous, then, um, that's the best way to serve, as you said, all of the women who, who deal with this exact situation. Yeah. 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 And, and the show, You've you've built for yourselves a really, I mean, it's such a risky show, but in the weird way, you've built this kind of safe arena in which to kind of tackle all these kind of issues because sure, the, it's satire, the yeah. satire is so sharp and and it's a smart show. It's a show that a lot of people like, and mm-hmm. so I feel like more than another show out of nowhere, some sort of risque quote right, plot line. Right, right. You guys have you guys have the runway to do it. And yeah, that, it's true. And we yes, and that and that was set up because we like you said in the very beginning, like we weren't we didn't have an agenda. Mm-hmm. We just want to explore and satirize and skew and hit close to the bone because that's that is the sanctioned place, right? Like television, theater, you know, film, story, it is the sanctioned place to examine things because it's not inevitably real, although it could reflect some realities, mm-hmm. right? And so that is our 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 MO is is to provide that, to provide that arena, as you said. Have you had any instances where the real world has sort of intervened in terms of like the show? Like have you met people from DC who are like, oh you got it totally wrong or you got it totally right? No like, one has ever said we've gotten no, it wrong. No, I mean I, I but like <laughs> I don't think you did. Or, who's, who's that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Every so many people. Yeah. Um, every uh, so many people, um, especially from the hill, and you know, they, they've they've for many years told us that they find it very therapeutic, and that it is, um, especially when it's very staff uh, focused. Sure. You know. Yeah. And um, and yeah, that we we get it we get it right a lot more often than um, than anything else that has been doing this for for now. So um, we we are very grateful for that feedback, and we're um, and I think that we take that as a vindication and a validation to move forward and to keep doing what we're doing. Because yeah, it's um, it, it it's that I don't know. It's a gorgeous thing, humor and satire. It does it does allow you to 
almost serve in a weird way. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I don't. I'm not going to ask nor will I infer your personal politics, but like, <laughs> I think is, I'm pretty. Yeah. I, I haven't been very quiet <laughs> yeah, on right, that okay, lately. Okay. I don't think we have the luxury. You don't we want just to don't assume, have, well, that's true. Yeah. You don't want to assume, and you're yeah. very correct for that. But um, but yeah, I've yeah. You don't have to assume right. with me. I'm yeah. So, <laughs> is it hard? It's a funny thing it, because watching it, I, I I certainly don't feel this, but like, is it hard making the show to not feel like if this is at all like what it's like in real life? Do we have any hope of ever ironing this out? You know, because it, it, I don't know. I mean, I've. It's funny. I've. Oh, Tim and I were talking about this last week, where when we're focused on like the archetypes, it's not as frightening as when you kind of explore the the greater reaction. So, um, you know, Jonah is off the deep end and uh, this season and, and, and in a very sharp relief that reflects very much of the the questions we're asking about our own country right now. And usually I can just, you know, be like, Oh no, this is the character we're doing. But, but in some of those rally scenes, yeah, it got, it got a little, eh, um, it gets rough, you know, yeah. and like our background actors were so good <laughs> that sometimes you're like, oh, God, do they really think this? Oh, God, they know this is pretend, right? Like, you know, there's yeah. um, which really isn't that what we're asking when we watch the real thing. We're like, God, they know this is pretend, right? Like, yeah. oh, I really, you know, anybody, you know, who's who's um, who were at rallies like that and supported this this ugly administration? Like you just you wish you could just be like you know you're a you know you're a patsy, right? Like you know that they're using you. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so it does feel better to at least be able to go cut. Yeah. <laughs> right, and then just go do whatever. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, so cut has been called for the last time on yeah. Veep. Um, oh, yeah. You did some great episodes of Halt and Catch Fire, which was more in a yes. sort of dramatic Oh, I bent. love that show. Um, going forward, is there any sort of tone or genre or anything that you're, like, eager to kind of explore? Um, I mean, I am I am classically trained. I am more – I've never been an improv actor mm-hmm. or, you know, done comedy, like, as my, um, as my training. And so this has been so fun because I, I definitely, like – have that philosophy that like there's no real difference. The text is the difference, but in the playing of it, it's the same. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do look forward, yes, to to playing out some like longer story and deeper stuff with with a, with drama, you know, dramatic work. I do. Um, it's it's what I enjoy um, watching most of the time, and um, and and I feel like I got to to practice a lot of that within this satire mm-hmm. um, just because poor Amy is like in her own Greek tragedy constantly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do, you know, um, I'm always looking to to get, it's material. It's mater- it's beautiful material. It's beautiful stories. It's, I, yeah, it's, it's literature. Like I just look for literature, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah, cause that's what, that's what made me sign up to do it. And um, that's what continues to motivate me. So I don't know. We'll see. We you will can put see. me in a course in a dialect. Yeah. <laughs> I will not complain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> neither will um, Well, we can't wait to see what you do next, Anna. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. And congrats on the end of what is, you know, going to go down as one of the greats. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks. <laughs> 
So that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Uh, thanks for listening. Please keep leaving us reviews. Uh, tune in for Dispatches from Cannes. And next week, we actually have a special episode that uh, Richard spearheaded of a Tony's preview because uh, Richard sees plays. Theater. <laughs> Makes you feel uh, smarter than the rest of us because you see plays? Uh, well, no. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I felt kind of dumb talking with our guests, who so you'll find out who are there next week, because I haven't seen many musicals. Ah. Yeah. Well, you can look look forward to that, so have a little bit of knowledge going into the Tony Awards, which are an extremely fun award show, uh, even if you haven't seen all the plays. But in the meantime, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, on Twitter at Little Gold Men, and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich, Richard. Rylos. And Mike. Mike underscore Hogan. And Joanna. Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best remedy for all the Quentin Tarantino hot takes goes to Richard Lawson. Chardonnay. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.